The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. Word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for the evening and for the time of fellowship around the table and for the food and people that participated in bringing things and sharing time together. We uh, uh, help us never to take for granted uh, just how wonderful that is just to be together and share in that way. And uh, we are thankful for your word now and that we can also feast on it and ask that you might help us as we look at these things tonight to uh, appreciate more and more of the things you have planned for us as New Testament believers. And we thank you for that. Amen. What's the noise over there? I'm sorry. It's going to drive me crazy. Sounds like a timer ticking. It does sound like a timer ticking. Really? I don't hear it. I don't either. There is a timer there somewhere. I think it's up maybe for lights. Used to be a timer on the thing. Like a tiki timer? Yeah. I'll try to talk loud enough. I can just unplug it. Yes, I do hear it. I was asking Gary if the timer he's thinking of would actually be making that noise. Oh, sure. I don't think I've ever heard the noise. He's right in the middle there. He is all about tone. Just unplug it. Oh. You yeah. Yes, thank you. Is that it? Yes. Yep. Oh, it? It's never been so loud. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm sorry. I noticed it. I noticed it. Mics and comes on in a certain time. But I didn't hear it. <laughs> okay. I'm. I am not planning on taking all of our Bible study time to touch on this, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna share a few. Is that what you meant? Okay. My wife's sending me code here back and forth. So since she's home tonight, that was like telling me things. Um, at last week, we started uh, there. And she said, yes, I got it right. Okay. <clears throat> We're talking about new things. Uh, we have this verse in John 16. We'll come back to it. Well, let's just go take a look at it. We should look just to see. So you have a point of reference to why we're talking about this. So John chapter 16 in verse 12. John chapter 16 and verse 12. Jesus tells his disciples, I have yet many things to say to you, but you're not able to bear or carry the weight of them now. But when that one, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth, for he will not speak from himself, but whatever things he hears, he will speak and things that are coming he will announce to you. So this is where we're heading. We started in this last week because I was think because we have all of the New Testament. We are the disciples, remember, they don't have any of the New Testament this time. All they have is the Old Testament. They I don't think that they expect it to be anything different than what they've had in the Old Testament, except that the kingdom is going to come and Christ the King is going to come and sit on his throne. This is what they're expecting. Of course, Jesus in this upper room has been telling them. Well, there's some different things coming, things that you haven't experienced yet. And on top of that, this verse now says, but I've got a lot of other things to say too. And they're not just a continuation of what you've had. There are going to be new things, and they're going to be so new, you can't really handle them right now. If I, if I told them to you right now, it would crush you under the weight because it's going to be so different than what you know. And we started talking about these things last week. I'm going to read... These are the ones I have, and this is the way I wrote them down. But these are the things <clears throat> that we I checked them off last week, the ones we hit. It's going to re- reveal a new way of life by grace. If you would have gone and talked to an Old Testament saint, Daniel, David, you would have talked to any one of these people and asked them, um, hey, you know, how do we live? They would have said, well, by the law. you got to know the law. you got to know all the commandments. He'd say, well, we live by grace. And he would have said, what does that mean? And you try to explain a grace way of life. It relates to learning what God says about you by grace in Christ. And then you learning to relate to that. And responding to life in light of who God says you are. David, those guys all would have looked at you and gone, I have no idea what you're talking about. Because they didn't have those things. They didn't have a position in Christ. That's something Jesus in this upper room back in chapter 14 said, is going to be a new thing for you. 
that doesn't trouble them a great deal. That's one of the ones. So we have this new way of life by grace. He would reveal a new unity of believers in Christ, joint heirs, joint members of the body, joint partakers of the promise. In the Old Testament, you had people that were called gore, that, uh, and in the New Testament, they were called proselytes. They were Gentiles that came and attached themselves to the people of Israel and practiced Judaism, but they didn't get to share in all the promises and inheritances of Israel. Those things were specific to those tribes, specific <clears throat> promises God made to them. So they were kind of like following on the coattails, and they got the, shall we say, the crumbs. That's Remember, that's what the Gentile woman says to Jesus? Don't, don't the dogs get to eat the... Because remember, Jesus says to this, and he says, it's wrong to take the bread of the children and throw it to the dogs. Dogs being Gentiles, because that's the way the Jews looked at them. Could you imagine Jesus calling you a dog? That's what he says to her face. Yeah, that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. He's not trying to be rude. He's trying to make a point. And the point comes out then that she says, well, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And that's the essence of the Gentiles that were attached to Israel under law. They were basically eating the crumbs from what God was doing with Israel. Today, we are absolutely, absolute equals in every way. And that's such an important thing for us to understand. And I think most Christians get that. There are some that don't. There are still some Christians to this day that think if you are at least a little, uh, have a little bit of Israeli blood in you, you are a little better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've run into people like that. Okay. What um, if you're lost yeah, what if you're one of the last? Well, that's what we're supposed to be, right? Yeah, you guys all have heard that, right? That that it was called British Israelism, and it came over to the United States, and they said we're part of the lost ten tribes that were taken away by the king of Assyria. And the, one of the one of the ways one of the ways they did that was they said, well, those people were the Saxons, and why they were called the were the were the descendants of the Saxons. Those are the people from Saxony that went into Britain and France, and anyway. And they said this because we were Isaac's sons. How do you like that for a stretch? But that's the way they developed that. Anyway. Um, that is stupid. Yeah. That is stupid. Yeah. He would reveal that Jesus Christ would rule with his body. We looked at that. Ephesians 1.10. Josh brought that one out last week. Uh, in the Old Testament, they knew clearly that Jesus was going to rule. We've been looking at that as we've been doing our survey through through Isaiah, and we're going to look at more of that as we look at some prophecies about the Messiah from the book of Isaiah. And this is this will be coming up not this Sunday, but uh, the following Sunday. But so they expected Christ to reign, but they didn't expect that we that we were going to reign equally sitting with him on his throne, which is exactly what he tells the church: "You're going to get to sit with me on my throne." Because we're not just his friends. We haven't got to that yet. It's one of the other new things. But we, the church, are also his bride. And his bride sits with him on his throne. <clears throat> I'm reviewing here. Um, and then uh, somebody else uh, mentioned this. This might also have been, uh, this, I think this was Jim. I, I don't remember. So that was last week. But he would reveal that Israel is hardened in their hearts today so that most do not respond to God. It's part of the judgment for them refusing Jesus Christ. And there's a very interesting statement in Romans 11 about the table of Israel, how they responded. They gave him, uh, they gave him vinegar and uh, what's the other thing they gave him? I've drawn a blank off the top of my head. But anyway, it's, it's what they gave him when he's on the cross. And it says that's a table, and that comes right out of Psalm 69. And that word table over there in the Hebrew had the idea of a table you set before a king. What would you normally think you'd feed a king? You'd feed good food. You wouldn't give him vinegar to drink and just the other thing they gave him on the cross that numbed, that numbed up. I can't remember what it's called. But that, but that brought judgment on them. So they are temporarily under judgment. So those were some new things. Well, one of those things that we talked about, and we, we sat on this a little bit last week, was talking about this life by grace and talking about the law. So yesterday, when I uh, finally made it over to the office and I was studying, I turned on, uh, there was a, a video by Mike Winger. I don't know if you, some of you may listen to him, some of you may not, but he's a Calvary Chapel pastor down in Southern California. He does a lot of question and answer and Bible study things. And I really like it. But he was having a conversation with the theonomist. How many of you, raise your hand if you know what a theonomist is. Exactly. Most Christians don't know what theonomists are. 
they're not a new thing. Okay, it's been around for long enough that before I even moved here to Royal City, there was a book I've got by a couple of men that are dealing with the problem of theonomy. And theonomy, theonomists are people that think that not only Christians but the whole world should be put under the Old Testament law of God. That's what a theonomist is. Why do they call it theonomist? God law. Theos and then onomos law. So it's God's law. And they think that we they think we're supposed to be pushing for the implementation of God's law, and they believe that that's the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law is at least an expression of that, and we need to be pushing to have that enforced on the entire world. Everybody needs and like usually Christian version of Sharia. Something like that, yeah. In fact, I still remember in that book, my being a dispensationalist, that they asked, what would you do with dispensationalists? He says, because you're opposed to the law of God, you would be jailed and treated as a criminal for opposing Christians living by law. They were, that's just straightforward. That's exactly what they said. Okay. And keep in mind, this is now well, well over 30 years ago that this book was written. So anyway, this is, this is, this is their argument, and I just want to throw this out in case you ever run in, into this, and I have a question to ask in connection with this. The, the, probably the number one argument you get from people that when you say that we're not under law today is they're going to say, but the Bible says God doesn't change. And therefore, when they read that, they mean if, God, if the Bible says God doesn't change, that means not only does he not change in his nature, but he never changes what he does. And yet the Bible is full of God making changes in what he does. He never changes in his nature. He doesn't go from being righteous to being unrighteous, from being wise to being foolish. That would be a change of his nature. But he does change what he's doing. He created. And what does it say he did on the seventh day? He rested. The Hebrew word sabbat. He ceased. Ceased what? She's creating. Are there still new universes popping up out there? Oh, look at that. There's a whole new animal. It's not a new breed of dog. It's a whole new animal that's never existed before because God's still busy creating. He doesn't do that anymore. See, creation stopped. He stopped creating. And there's lots of things like that where God has made changes. And you the need law was a change. And see, he would say it's not. He believes that the law is eternal. He, he, this, this man is listening to that Mike Winger is talking to. This man thinks that God gave the Ten Commandments to Adam in the garden. He thinks Adam had 11 commands. The Ten Commandments and the law against eating the tree. You can't prove that from Scripture. But for them, it's a philosophical conclusion because they say that God, and this is his comment, God is a righteous law keeper. Himself. Yeah, yeah. God is eternally a law keeper. But and I still remember one of my the professors. Book of Romans says, uh, talks about the first Adam and the last Adam and how their sins were. It talks about the ones that were before law. Oh, yeah. I know it does. Yeah. The, when they didn't have any law. This, I, I could spend, I was writing tons of notes for myself as I was listening to this. I got distracted from <laughs> going over my study because I'm sitting over here writing notes. There was all kinds of things. We could spend a whole evening handling this thing. I don't know that it would be edifying to you, but maybe it's helpful for you just to know that there are people that are out there like this, and you just need to be aware that you're going to, some, sometime you're going to run into people that think, maybe not to the extreme this guy is, but you're going to run into people that think that the law should be around, and that in our churches we should be teaching people to live by the Ten Commandments. In fact, I was um, yesterday having this conversation we with this one of the topics that came up yesterday when I was down at New Life talking with Tony and we were talking about different things and and because uh, uh, we're just trying to get a feel you know where we are with different things thinking about different stuff and and so we talked a little bit about about this history, this idea and it was kind of nice you know when you talk to somebody because I've had people you share a little they ask you a question you're like okay and you ask them a question and sometimes when they, you answer a question for them they look at you like planet are you from? <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. That, But it, it wasn't, you know, when we get done, we're kind of like, hey, I think we're we're largely on the same page. I, I actually ran into the grocery store and I couldn't talk to Josh because he was busy talking to somebody else. So I went back to where Jennifer was and said, tell Josh this. This was really exciting. You know, this was, this was an answer to prayer. 
So anyway, um, this whole idea of, of the fact that we're not under the Mosaic Law, that's a, that is a big thing. I, I bet if you went out and surveyed most people that really are genuine Christians, really believers in Jesus Christ, um, I, I, and I, I'm going to guess 90% of them are probably going to say we're under the law in some way. There's a, there's a wide expanse of, of who we say is under the law and how we're under the law, to what degree we're under the law. And I, I just find there's just a very small percentage of believers that really fully understand we're just not under law at all. Not under the law at all. We really are under grace. We have one thing. It's called the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? Love my neighbor and I as Christ. Yes. You know, love one another as I have loved you. Which is so important because this guy says, Christ says we're still under the law because he said the two the two chief commands are to love your uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart also all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself and I always think if that's our command then why is it that at the end of Jesus's life not in the middle when he's talking to the Pharisees but in the end of his life why does he say I'm giving you a whole new kind of command a kainos command why does he say that if that command is just the same thing that's already been around we have a whole new kind of command, a whole new kind of law that should shape our lives. And granted, is is there a similarity between those two commands and ours? There is a similarity. They both involve love. <laughs> but he took love and elevated it by saying, now you're going to love like I've loved. Not with all you've got, but love like I've done. That's a big difference. Yeah. I think so. The differences are way more important than the similarities in any circumstance. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, with that, I'm going to stop that because I'd love to just sit and go on because there's so many things in there that I think are helpful, but I'm not going to take any more time. But this is why, this is why using that, that's why I think it's important for us to review and help believers remember we're not under law. We really are under grace. I, I do want to look at a verse connected with this because I was thinking about a whole bunch of these, but turn to Hebrews chapter 7. That was really countercultural, Josh. What you said. Really yeah. countercultural. Oh, the differences are more important. Okay. Hebrews chapter what? Hebrews chapter 7. And there's several different things that we have over here. Silence that for the time being. Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to go to verse 19. There's a, there's a whole bunch going on here, but I just want to point this verse out. And this is being written in, in light of the fact that the law is no longer effective for us. Verse 19, it says, For the law made nothing perfect. Almost all of our modern Bibles or most of our translations have the word perfect. But we've been over this before. That same word perfect means you're coming to the point that God intends. When you're talking about people, it's about becoming mature. So what he's saying is the law made nothing mature. But the bringing in of a better hope, we would add the word did, through which we draw near to God. Our ability to draw near to God, not because of, because under the law, remember, what did you, <coughs> there were all kinds of things that kept you from, from going before God. Let's say you have a relative that dies. You have to clean their body and take care of that and do all that. You touch that. You're now unclean. I can't go to the temple till I've gone through a cleansing ritual for that. I can't approach God. Or I slaughter an animal. I'm unclean if I've slaughtered that animal for, for meat out there. Um, things like that. There were all kinds of things that made people unclean. I've even made this. We're, we're all adults here. Um, but if a husband and wife had marital relations, you were unclean and you couldn't go to the temple till you went through a cleansing ritual. I mean, there was all kinds of things that made us unclean, made Israel unclean. And the whole point of that, and, and these Jews would have known that. I do this, I'm unclean. I do this, I'm unclean. I do this, I'm unclean. Think of that poor woman that Jesus heals that for 12 years has had a flow. It's not stopped. That meant for those 12 years she's been unclean. Technically, she never should have been able to approach the temple. Maybe she never did. But this now is saying, 
we have a better hope. That better hope is that because Christ has ascended and we are in Christ, we can approach God not down at an earthly building here where we have to meet a uh, physical cleanliness ritual, but where we are already cleansed because we're always seated in Christ. And we come at any time, any moment, any day, and can go there and talk to God. It's just something I just... And, and you're going to, you might think this is crazy because you all nod your heads going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know how many Christians I've, I've met that don't know that we have that absolute access? Something tragic happens in your life. And I've had people talk to me like this, that something tragic happens, and the first thing that runs through your mind is I need to talk to God, but I did that not but five hours ago. I can't talk to God because I did that thing. And we think that we're unworthy. And we think God won't listen to us. Even if we do cry out to God, we think there's no way God's going to listen to me because I'm not fit. You're always fit in Christ. If you remember that, even in a brief moment, I am at Father's right hand, not because I'm worthy, but because I'm worthy in Christ, because he's worthy. And it just, I, I'm not kidding. I've had... I've had believers when you share that with them or they've learned that someplace and they tell you that just liberates them in terms of their ability to talk to God. Okay. So again, spent a lot of time going back and kind of reviewing and also hitting that one point about the law, but I just think it is so important. So your assignment, let's see if any of you could think of some other things that are called new. So does anybody else want to take a shot at one of these here? Because otherwise you're just going to have to listen to me. New service? There's a new, I don't even think I have that one down. A new service. And that is? We all have a spiritual gift. There we go. We all have. An Old Testament, they didn't have that. Yeah. Let's go to, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and let's go to verse 8. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, oh, we want to go back to verse 7, actually. Ephesians 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of the gift of the Christ. Wherefore it says, ascending into the heights, he led captive captivity, or captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. And now he that ascended, what is he except that he descended in the lower parts of the earth, and the one that descended is himself the one that ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill the all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherd teachers for the equipping of the saints. If you're not one of those four guys, four groups in verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, you're not out in the cold. Part of the job of these guys are to help equip you for a work, a work of ministry. There's no the in front of it. There's as many works of ministry as there are gifts out there. So you say, I, I'm not a teacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm definitely not an apostle or prophet. What am I supposed you're to do? you're a Christian, there's no such thing as going into the ministry. That's right, because you're all in ministry. You all should be. There's a pet peeve of mine when people say, I'm going into full-time Christian service. What were you doing before? Mm -hmm. Right? Volunteer. Your volunteer service. That don't count. <laughs> that don't count. Doing <laughs> one day a week. So let me ask a question when it says there in verse 12, <laughs> equipping the saints for a work of ministry. What does that word ministry, what does that mean? I mean, simple terms. Put it in very simple terms. Talking to somebody who doesn't know anything about the Bible, and you use the word ministry, and they go, what is ministry? Serving. Serving. Yeah. yeah. It's actually, it's diakonos, and kanos comes from dust, the dust of the ground. It meant thoroughly common. A doulos was somebody's slave. They have a master, and they answer to that master. A diakonos is a person that waited tables in a restaurant. Guess whose slave they are? Anybody that comes in and sits down at a table and asks for food. Yeah, and they had them. That's exactly what they the did. the same word for deacon. Yes. Deacon is cheap because it doesn't tell you what they're doing, right? We just pronounce the Greek word in English. 
if we actually called them what they would call them servants. They're serving everybody because the deacons, the first six guys they chose or seven guys they chose, seven guys that they chose there in the book of Acts, they were doing what? They each served one person? No, they were serving all the widows that were coming by daily at the tables to collect, you know, whatever the church was supplying to help provide for them. That was their job to take care of all of them. They were serving to all of them, not just to one. That's the, the nature of what a diakonos is. So they, in essence, have an appointed service on top of a spiritual gift. Those guys did, yes. Because one of those guys was an evangelist by the name of Philip. But all of you, no matter what your gift is, you have a, you have a common service. And I think the reason the, the Bible calls it a ministry or common service is because you don't just serve one person in the body of Christ. You serve anybody in the body of Christ that God brings across your path, don't you? You say, oh, I only, I only show mercy to Josh. That's the only person I show mercy to. No, you show mercy to any believer that needs mercy, right? So, again, and we, there's lots of different passages on this, but yes, thank you, Josh. We've been given a new ministry. Everybody has a new area. We have this new service. That wasn't true in the Old Testament. There were only certain people that God selected to carry out service on behalf of the rest of the nation. <clears throat> Priests, kings, some prophets, everybody else, they just lived the life. Anybody else want to take a jab at one? Access is so much better now. So they had uh, the temple and the things in Jerusalem that they had to go to three times a year or four, I can't remember how many for sure, but at every festival. And we don't have to go anywhere. We can do it right here. Uh, Is that a reference to that in the Old Testament, the Spirit was upon you, and in the New Testament, He's in you. Is that a kind of... Gary stole mine. Similar. It's <laughs> yeah. a good one. Yeah. And that's that's one that Jesus has actually talked about back in John 14, right? Mm -hmm. That the Spirit is now going to be in you. Mm -hmm. And remember, most 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 Jews, the Spirit wasn't wasn't even on them. He only put the Spirit on certain Jews for spirit specific acts of service. It didn't even indicate salvation. Yeah, and it didn't even indicate that you were a good person. We don't have anybody from Peg's class except. Peggy being online with us because she's been going through judges and she was just honestly they're just talking with the kids God was accomplishing something and some of those people that acted as judges were morally deficient <laughs> Samson was not a nice moral man he was not a what do you call him not a Mole, role model. Role model. I was going to call a mole model. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Did anybody say priesthood yet? No. <clears throat> there we go. Let's go take a look at this one. Let's turn. Uh, let's go to First Peter chapter 2. Say it again. Priesthood. First Peter chapter 2. It's interesting because of how plain this one is in the New Testament. Um, when I was growing up, there were a lot of churches that did kind of teach on this kind of a thing. Um, but it's, it's also surprising maybe how many Christians, maybe this didn't ever really sink in um, on what this is. So we're going to go to verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Talk about the end of verse 3. It says, since you have, since you have tasted that the Lord is kind... It says, whom you are approaching as living stones uh, by men being rejected, but with God chosen and precious, or living stone. Uh, verse 5, you yourselves now are living stones. Here we are, plural. You are living stones, and you're being built together into a spiritual house, into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable or well-pleasing or well-received by God through Jesus Christ. So we are... We are a holy priesthood. This is the only place this is mentioned. And we get to offer spiritual sacrifices. What's fun is to ask people, what are some of those spiritual sacrifices? 
Can you name some of the sacrifices that the New Testament tells us about? Well, praise, technically. It's translated thanksgiving, but praise. You opening your mouth and praising. Uh, I'll pick on Lewis. Maybe, maybe I meet Lewis and God does something in my life. And as a priest, I open my mouth and I could just say, God, thank you for that. But I can open my mouth and say, God, you did this because of your character. And if I open my mouth and share that, that, might, that sacrifice might be something, because he says it's the fruit of my lips, might be something maybe he needed to hear. It might be beneficial and helpful to him. So I think that's part of why you do that. So there, praise. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice. What do you present your body to God for? For service. For service, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Here, use me, use me. Help me serve other people. I hope every time you get together with other believers, whether it's here or at any other time, I hope it runs through your mind, God, use me, whatever you want. Use me. Okay. Fellowship, yeah, fellowship. There's different levels of fellow, or different different kinds of fellowship. Sitting at a table over there, eating a meal together, is identified in Acts chapter two and Acts four as a form of fellowship that we can share, that we can actually eat food together and share fellowship. But there's also other kinds of fellowship. Do we share a common salvation? Yeah. So we can actually be acting on that salvation, and doing that together and be encouraging to each other by doing that, okay? So what do we have? We praise, we have our bodies, we have service. fellowship. Just common service, yeah. Paul talks about that in Philippians. There's service that we can offer. Serving other believers with a proper attitude can be a sacrifice to God, a sacrifice that he says he's well-pleased with. There's, I think, I think two more. What? Sacrifice of faith. You're going to direct faith at promise from God, and I think it's going to then issue in an activity in some way that you're engaged with other believers. It could be service. could be one that we haven't done yet. We haven't looked at yet. Giving. You could, by faith, say, God, you've allowed me to have this. Oh, that person has a need over there. I think I could, I think, God, I think maybe you want me to use some of this to help that person that has a legitimate need. Another believer, keep in mind, is the point. And you use that. But there's something where you gotta believe there's you have to believe in a promise associated with that. It's not just it's just not a thing out of duty. Oh, gotta pull my money out of the I gotta give. That's not it. It's actually you're doing it out of faith that this is an opportunity to serve in the body of Christ. I think we've covered all there's one other one that's called <clears throat> doing good. That's also over there with the praise one in Hebrews thirteen. And doing good is brought. It can be the use of your spiritual gift. It could be any other. It's, I think that that kind of is compassed under service. Anyway, so yeah, priestly service. When I, we didn't talk about priestly sacrifices when I was growing up. When we talked about the priesthood, we were like, we can pray to God anytime, and we can all interpret the Bible for ourselves. That was a real big deal where I grew up, because the, the Catholics tell you only they can do it. But we could all interpret the Bible for ourselves. That was, we all we hammered on that. We talked about those things. The extent of talking about priests was how you're different than a Roman Catholic priest. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times that's kind of the way it was taught. But we didn't really talk about these sacrifices. And the New Testament lays a bigger emphasis on these sacrifices than on the things that we talked about when I was growing up. Anyway, so I think that that's helpful. Anybody else? Another new thing. What eternal cleansing? Eternal cleansing. We're always cleansed. Well, let's go take a look. Let's go over to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, and let's. I, I'm. Thinking about this, if somebody else can think of another passage, but this is the one that's coming to mind to me. Um, and this goes to, this ties in with, we're talking about our access to God. Notice this in Hebrews chapter 10. And let's go to verse 20. Talking about the blood of Jesus from verse 19, which he opened for us a new and 
we have that new and living way. What what you don't see, how many of your Bibles just say a new and living way? The new okay. and living way. The new and living way. Okay. This is what's important about that. That word new is not naos. It's not kainos. It's prosphaton, which means freshly slain. It's like you come out there and there's an animal laid and the neck slit open and you can see that it's still bleeding. Freshly slain. That's literally what that word that they translate new. And I think by translating new, you miss the punch. In the, let me ask you, why would it be important for us to talk about Christ and his blood as freshly slain? If Paul wrote Hebrews, which I think he did, he's writing this about 60 AD, 60, probably 63, because he's out of prison. Because so, there's still sacrifices happening at the temple? There were still sacrifices happening at the temple. Why does he say Christ's then is freshly slain? Why does he use that? Why does he apply that title to it? What you said actually relates to this issue. Yeah, to, to draw the parallel of like that he was the sacrifice. And the final sacrifice yeah. once for all. And rather than his sacrifice being old needing to be redone and replaced. It's like fresh. 30 years old. It's still freshly slain. It's Which is saying it's still freshly effective is another way of putting it. It's still effective. And which think about the impact for you and I. We're sitting 2,000 years down the road. Is this sacrifice today as good as it was the day it was made? Yes. Yeah. And 11 and 12 pertain to the talk too. Verses 11 and 12. Okay, we'll go back to 11 and 12 then. Thank you, Josh. So every priest stood day by day doing priestly service with the same same things, frequently then offering the same sacrifices, which are never able to take away sins. But this one, having offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he has sat down in the right hand of God. One sacrifice forever. We have forever. In the Greek, it's not a normal word for forever. It's a word for perpetuity. <clears throat> For continuous effect would be the idea of this word. For continuous effect. So with and that... The Jews would be really aware that there were no chairs in the tabernacle or in the temple. Yeah, the priests didn't sit down. When they showed up for work, they were on their feet all day long uh, offering sacrifices. Isn't that the reason it's not the normal forever word is that once we're glorified, we're not going to need it. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to need it. Yeah, it'll, it'll be taken care of. Thank you. So verse 20 then, which he opened a freshly slain and living way through the curtain that is to say his flesh. And keep in mind, when they walked up to the temple, what did they do? They walked up and they had this curtain on the side. They went around to the side, pulled that, that curtain back and slipped around that curtain to go into the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest and only that one day of the year. It's the only time he ever did this. And that's after he filled the room with so much smoky incense that he couldn't hardly see anything when he walked into that room. Doesn't that make your eyes itch, just burn, just thinking about that? But this is what he does. He goes into that room. Pulling, but he says that curtain for us now, the curtain that we pull aside, that we walk through when we approach God, is the fact that Jesus Christ in his human nature sits on the throne. And we're coming through the fact that he's there, and we're coming through him. Because we are, have a position in him. That's what he's getting at. It's, such a vivid thing, I hope we all we all understand that. Verse 21, since then we have a great high priest over God, let us approach with a true heart in full confidence of faith. And here's, here's the word, now this is what Victor was talking about, this permanent sprinkling, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and that and then and our bodies washed with pure water. The words sprinkled and washed in the Greek are both imperfect tenses meaning we have been sprinkled with the result that we remain sprinkled. We have been washed with the result that we remain washed. Don't you wish you could do that with your kids, right? Give them one bath, never have to give them another one. They're permanently washed. Laundry, Laundry yeah. that would be a big one. <laughs> yeah. But it is true for us in Christ. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean. And that sprinkling, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday when we were in uh, Isaiah 53. But remember, they had that, that branch from that bush, that hyssop bush, and they would dip that in a bowl of blood, and then they would sprinkle that all over you. Imagine being going to get splattered if you were in the crowd, splattered by little droplets of blood. But that ceremonially made you clean. 
But guess what? You're going to be unclean. You're going to have to go through that again. Remember, we were talking about how you approached well, you came up there and they slaughtered an animal and they took the ashes and they put the ashes in water and you rubbed it all over yourself and then they poured water over you to clean you up and you went through this cleansing ritual, which sounds to us bizarre, but it's what they did. Why? Because ashes really made them clean. It's fun listening to people talk about the science. Yeah, the ashes. It's not it at all. It was all to prove to them you have a lot to go through if you want to think you can be clean enough to approach God. And you're going to do it again and again and again until Christ comes along and he does it once for all. And you don't have to go through that anymore. You just have to appreciate it's already done. See, I, I always think this, the, things like this are interesting because this is the way I was raised. We would hammer on people that you need to believe in Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to be saved. He's done it all. Just believe in him. It's all done. It's over. But then the minute they get saved, then it's like, oh, by the way, here's the rule book. And you better keep these rules or you can't talk to God now. Uh, along with that, I think they had a place of propitiation, the mercy seat. And our mercy seat is Jesus Christ's work. He was the place of satisfaction. That's right. And that's so, Romans 3. He calls it that. He's the propitiatory. Location of propitiation or satisfaction, yeah. That'd be something new. That is a new thing. And that's... And that's 1 John 2, I think, too, also. There is, there is a statement yeah. that Christ is our propitiation mm -hmm. in 1 John 2. So let us approach. So yes, that's a new thing, to think that we are perpetually always clean. Even if I screw up down here, and screw up, that's a code name for saying, I sinned. I blew it. I did something God didn't want me to do. And I did it knowing he didn't want me to do it. But I did it anyway. Guess what? I'm still in Christ, always clean. I still in Christ am always washed. Therefore, in Christ, I can still approach God. Which is kind of what Jesus was teaching Peter when he said, I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus says, you've been washed, but we need to do your feet. Yeah, we just wash your feet up once mm -hmm. in a while. That's mm -hmm. right. Which is kind of... Kind of like that's the. Uh, I'm going to chase down another thing. We better not do that. <laughs> so. No more things. Food. Anyway, so let us approach. There we go. Let us approach because of that. Lewis, Lewis wanted to add food to your list of things. It's different. Tony and I went to Gaetans yesterday. I ordered. <laughs> he is. He's telling the story. I ordered a torta carnitas. <laughs> oh. Mmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was really good. That's pork. Pork. Actually, I had I had a sada, so I didn't have pork. Oh. I thought it was I was gonna I was back and forth. See, so that's why I can't remember. But the reason I mentioned that is because I never know which one is better. <laughs> but the whole point is, yeah, because I mean, now this side of the law, we do have an open dietary law. Again, that theonomist says he's not so sure about the dietary laws. He thinks that there may be some good reasons that we should be keeping the dietary laws. I met a guy this last summer. They they believe in all the old stuff, in addition to the the new stuff. But they're they still try to live in the law a little bit. Well, if you guys remember, we had uh, years ago we had the the mission team come over from Kent, and there were some kids in that mission team. Not all of them, but there was probably about five or six of them that went to a messianic assembly. And if you don't know what a messianic assembly is, these are people that say they're Christians, but they're going to worship like Jews which is not biblical. Biblically, you're supposed to come over and you're supposed to now relate to New Testament truth, not function like Israel. In fact, we didn't, I pointed that verse in Hebrews 7. You remain under the law, you never mature. You stay under the Old Testament rituals or whatever you do, you remain immature. In fact, Paul calls those people napios. They're babbling children. See, I listened to my Five-year-old granddaughter gave me an anatomy lesson for a 10-minute video the other night. And there are things that she gets right, but these are also your Lolo cords. <laughs> See? Lolo? Your Lolo cords. <laughs> a vocal Lolo cords. And I'm just saying, some things are right and some things are babbling, you know. So there's some things you're going, oh, this kid's pretty intelligent. And then all of a sudden, Lolo cords comes out and, you know, this is... But that, that's kind of what it is with, with people that are living in law. Anyway, so yeah. We, we don't have dietary restrictions. The only restrictions on my diet is, is it going to affect you? 
No, seriously. I mean, Paul says that. I mean, if I sit down to eat with you and I know that you're not there yet, then I'm going to say, guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to order a salad. So Paul says, right? Isn't that what Paul says? And you do that out of love because you're more, you're more concerned about hidden growing than you kicking him in the, sh in the spiritual shins with your right to eat whatever you want. Right? Okay. So, yeah. And that's... So instead of beating up on most Messianic people, we, we slaved we, and made all this special food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they went to a lot of words, work to not to not cause trouble. Exactly. Yes, we did. Do they still do that? The shiny? You're talking about the... I, they've been, they've like gone to Spain for some of that. They've done some other things like that. I don't know if they're still doing that every year or not. So I have to, I'll have to ask Kurt sometime if they're still doing that. Um, I'm just trying to find um, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, there we go. 1 Timothy 3, 4, 1 Timothy 4, not 3, sorry, 1 Timothy 4. And he's talking about um, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some will depart from the faith. But what he means is they're not going to live by the promises God's made to us. And I believe he's talking about Christians. He's not talking about unsaved people. Unsaved people, unsaved people were never in the faith. He's talking verse 1 of 1 Timothy 4. So he's talking about believers that give up on God's promises to us. And they pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines. And that word for doctrine is doctrine that you don't practice. So they're going to focus you on, shall we say, the law. You don't practice the law anymore. There's nothing wrong with learning the law. And you can learn things from the law, but you don't practice it. And the law, do doctrines from demons. In other words, the best way for, for Satan to mislead Christians is to have us use the Bible. I mean, didn't he do that with Jesus? Oh. Even if we wanted to do it, we couldn't. We can't. Could you imagine if a Christian said, okay, I'm going to put this kid to death because they're not honoring their father and mother? They'd, there'd be a... You'd, you'd be in jail yeah. in short order. Yeah. You can't do it. So verse 2, it or, says... Oh. this person committed adultery, so we're going to stone him? <laughs> People would have a fit. Oh, yeah. So verse 2, it says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared, which I think means these people don't even do what they say. They tell you to do this, but they don't do it. And so they've seared their conscience so that they don't even feel it anymore. They don't even have guilty conscience, the fact that they're not consistent with how they live out this, this what they're teaching about the law. But notice what they do in verse 3, forbidding to marry and teaching them to abstain from foods which God created for partaking with thanksgiving by the believers, uh, uh, by those that have an experiential knowledge of the truth, because every creature of God is good and nothing is to be rejected, receiving it with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified or set apart through a word of God, that is God says this is good for you, but also by intercession. You can intercede over your food. We don't just thank God, we also intercede over our food. In one way or another. Like when we pray for cheeseburgers to be nourishing our bodies. <laughs> there we go. Something to this effect, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what would be the difference between him praying for your food and you praying for your own food? Well, I think you can pray for it. I mean, that's exactly the thing. We're doing that. So he says, if, in other words, if you, thank, if you thank God for your food and pray for your food, just eat it. You shouldn't have to reject anything. Again, the only rule, of re the only reason I would reject some food is if it's going to cause you problems because you aren't, you're still having an issue. You haven't grown enough, and so it's still an issue. So rather than stumbling, you were tripping you up, I'm going to eat salad while I'm with you so I don't cause problems. Then I'll get it home and I'll throw a steak on it. No, <laughs> I probably would. But. Do you want to eat that blood sausage? You can have it. Do you want to have that seafood? I mean, what would, I guess, something today in today's world be sacrificed to other idols? Like, in a sense. I know people aren't really doing that these days, but, like, what would... Josh and Faye are a good example of that. Because they... I remember Josh oh. called me once and wanted to know, what do you think about this? Because out there, it's a big deal if they ever eat meat. They hardly ever eat meat on those islands because meat is hard to come by. And occasionally they'll slaughter a hog, 
and then they cook it underground. They have this big thing. But usually that eating of that, they know it's connected with the worship of all these spirits around there that they, it's not just a celebration. It's also tied to that. And I said, if they talk to you about that, Paul's advice is don't eat it then. But if they don't say anything to it and they just invite you to come eat, then Paul says, then just eat and don't ask questions. And Josh goes, but if they tell us and we turn them down, that's offensive to them. I said, I understand that. I'm just telling you, this is what Paul says. I don't have any better advice than what Paul tells us for handling that situation. So yeah, there are still places where, where, that, where that is an issue in our world today. It only becomes an issue when they tell you. They come, this is sacrifice to an idol. What are you oh, going to do? Okay, well, right. you're in the middle of eating. Half your steak's done. You you immediately throw up. No, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you tell them, let's finish this conversation after I eat. Is this like gremlins? You know, I mean, like, it's after midnight. That's something stuck in my teeth. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the main reason you're doing that According conscience. to Paul, it's for their conscience because you don't want to think that you're giving a thumbs up to their to their right. false god. Right. That's the main reason that Paul says don't do it. Right. So, but that's a really good question because we don't think we have a lot of situations like that. But you'd be surprised but, the people yeah, you run into. Believers that are in Michigan now are going. They that could come up because they just gave the approval to do uh, sacrifices for the Ramadan. In Michigan, mm-hmm. large Muslim community. Okay, what about kosher foods? Kosher foods, I think, is a very different thing because it's. Let's put it this way: it's it's uh, just a modern. All all kosher it's a is, is scam. Yeah, it's a it is. It's well, a scam for them to get their stamp of approval from this. But from I've, the rabbis. I've sold wine in University Village where there's a lot of Jews. And I was told to bring in extra cases because this was their week. They did all this stuff. And, you know, so like, um, we don't necessarily believe in the same thing they do, but do we drink, do we drink that wine? Yeah. I mean, just where, where do we stand with that? But the, the difference is, is the Jews aren't, aren't eating meat and drinking wine in honor to a false deity. Okay, they're not they're not worshiping another god like in the city of Corinth or like down there in Bali. Okay, so it's a different thing. Theirs is in celebration of what they're you know whatever they're. Well, the Muslims would claim that same thing. Yeah, because the Muslims would look at what they're eating that they're they're worshiping the one true God, but their one true God is Allah, who is not the God of well, Scripture. Bring up a good point. So, okay, so I work with those. A lot of my owners are all Indian, East Indian, and. A lot of them are um, Sikh. Sikh or or um, Hindu. A lot of them are Hindu. They're vegetarians. And if I get invited to a feast, you know, they dedicate a lot of that food to, you know, their, whatever they believe in and stuff like that. Am I, am I not to? Am I not to eat any of that? And they dedicate that to their other gods in their feasts. Well, I mean, they, they eat for religious reasons. They, they don't eat pork. They don't, you know, so when they... when they. Do you mean they say a prayer or some kind of incantation before they eat it? Or what do you mean? Um, or you just know that they... I just I just know that, that they, they treat food way differently than we, we do. Like it's... They only eat certain times. Like it's... Yeah, and they, they... You know, I don't know if they pray over their food or whatever, but... I think it goes back to Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 10 that Josh was referencing. Um, If they don't tell you that this is offered to one of their gods or something like that, and they offer you food, you just eat it. They may know that it's offered to their god, but until they openly tell you that's what it is, I think you go ahead. Because Indian food's good. Oh, I agree. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Okay. Okay, well, boy, we got, I've, we still haven't, you guys all added ones I don't even have on my list to, yet, so. Um, new life, new nature, new indwelling trinity, what else? Um, well, I, the ones I compiled were just the mysteries. 
I, I didn't even look at all the other new things. You guys new, are bringing new the mind, new, I was keeping new eternal life, new nature. There's yeah. that. New promise, I'm, new covenant. Yeah. Well, how, how about that? New covenant. To tell Israel you're going to get a, you're going to be part partakers of a whole new covenant, different than what you've had before, and even different than the new covenant that God promised through Jeremiah. I'm just going to run down through the uh, some of the other ones I have here. Um, oh, we already hit that one. <laughs> we did hit that one. The body of Christ is going to be the bride of Christ. So we kind of mentioned that briefly earlier. Josh, I think, hit this one last week. Christ indwells us, gives us a new hope. See, Christ already told us about his indwelling in John 14. But, but now when you get to Colossians 1, he says there's a mystery. And that mystery produces in you a hope. A hope of the glory of God. The hope that you actually, by living out eternal life, can actually live to the glory of God. That's a whole new thing. That they didn't understand that. Because remember, those Jews lived with the expectation they would get eternal life when they were resurrected. You and I get eternal life the minute we believe the gospel. We don't have to wait. Okay, that's a new thing for us. There's a union of believers because we're in the Father and in the Christ, according to Colossians 2. And he says that's a mystery that creates a, really, he says it, it has the effect that it knits our heart, really knits our hearts together as one. Um, I think we did talk about that one last week, and I don't know why I don't have that one checked off. Um, we not only live by grace, but Paul also says in 1 Timothy 3, 9, that there's a mystery of the faith, that there that we also live by grace by living by faith in God's promises to us. That's the way we are supposed to live. Um, and then the last one, uh, let's just look at this one here at the end. I, and we're... Let's go to Revelation chapter 1, end of the chapter. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter one. We're going to go to verse 12, first of all. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And John has seen a, a vision of Jesus Christ, and I, I turned to see the voice which was speaking with me, and having turned around, I saw seven gold lampstands. Everybody understands this is this would be like a lampstand, except it would come up there, and on the top it would have a lamp with oil in it, and that oil feeds up through a thing, and then you light it, and that's how you had light in your rooms. Okay, I think most of us understand that, but that's what this is talking about. So there's seven of these gold lampstands. Verse 13. And in the midst of the lampstands, one that was like the Son of Man, having been clothed, reaching, uh, reaching down to his feet and wrapped about his breast with a golden sash, and his head, uh, and on his head the hairs were like white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, as if they were made to glow in a, in a, in a furnace, and his voice sounds like many waters, and having in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its power. Now remember, this is a vision of Christ. This is If you went into heaven, this is not really what Christ looks like. He's seeing a vision. Christ's eyes don't really burn. His hair isn't white. He's not really holding seven stars in his hand. He's not really standing literally in the midst of seven lampstands. And you're going, I thought we took scripture. It's because this is a vision. What? Symbolism, right? It's symbolism. And he's going to talk about all these symbols in the next two chapters, chapters 2 and 3, when Jesus personally talks to the churches. But notice at the end of this chapter now, we go down to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in his right hand, and the seven lamps, golden lampstands, the seven stars are the messengers of the angels of the seven churches. Now those are the, the leaders. We Today we'd call them the bishops or pastor teachers of those churches. Why does he use the word messenger? Because they're in charge of taking a message from Christ to their church. This isn't talking about a, an angel angel. And the reason it's not is because these angels are all held responsible for the conduct of the church. Angels aren't there responsible for how we are. But guess what? I, I am responsible for how our church conducts ourselves. I am, as a pastor, and if there were multiple pastors in our church, we all bear responsibility, Right? Josh is a pastor in our church. He may not officially be called by that by everybody, but I consider him one. I consider Jim one. There's times I look at Ben Orth and I feel that same way. There are people that have that position 
and we're responsible for how that church functions. And that's just about, well, how do we pass, should we pass the offering plate? Should we not pass the offering plate? You know, what time should we unlock? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the spiritual conduct of the church. We're there to think about how you people operate, how to encourage you to live and to love. I mean, that's, I have to say, that's one of the best things in the two conversations, long conversations. Tony and I got together two weeks and we talked for two plus hours, uh, both weeks when we got together. And that to me is one of the things that I can just tell he's really burdened with, how can I really help this church progress spiritually and a love of God and a love of the word of God? You know, how do you do that? And I'm like, oh, I love that. I really, really love to hear that. Because you don't get that. Some people are like, I need to figure out how to get the budget up and how to get the attendance up, <laughs> you know? And seriously, <clears throat> and if you think that you haven't heard that, I've listened to pastors that are like that. The point being is those messengers are held in Christ's hands. It, I don't answer to me. I think this is a really good check for us as pastors to say, I do answer to somebody because he holds me in his hand, meaning I'm responsible to him. Right? Right? We're responsible to him. All of us believers are, but especially the people that he's put in a position of leadership in the church. Secondly, and the lampstands, they are the seven churches. In other words, we don't. this lamp isn't in here so that you and I can come into Gary and Leslie's room in here, living room, and go, ooh, oh, the lamp's beautiful. We might do that momentarily, but we're not there. You know what it's there for? It's so that I can read this. It's so I can see Gary sitting there plainly. It's so that we're not in the dark. And the purpose, because the lampstands, Jesus is in the midst of those, What's the purpose of lampstands? Well, specifically to shed light on Jesus Christ. Yeah, we're here to make Christ seen. Were people saying that, and I wasn't hearing? No. Nope. Oh, okay. Nobody was saying anything. Really? Okay. I, I, I heard Leslie. I, I'm sorry. I, yes, I need hearing aids. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, this is our job. And you know, when you go to the first letter in chapter two, it talks about the church at Ephesus, and he says, you guys got a lot of good things going for you. You guys got good doctrine. You don't put up with people that teach bad doctrine. You deal with that. And he says, those are good things. I praise you for those. But you got a problem. You don't have love anymore. And he says, and if you don't get that straightened out, I'm going to take your lamp stand out. In other words, when you stop doing the main thing that you're about, you lose your opportunity to share a witness for Christ. Your church does. If you're not there to shed light on who Jesus Christ is. And Josh, I, I kind of knew this a little bit from history, but Josh and Jennifer got to visit Ephesus. And what, how would you say about, was it 300 something? That the city of Ephesus was kind of destroyed by a... Pretty much gone. Yeah. And they, so... This not, the city was destroyed, and the church never rebuilt, never came back. They lost. They, they didn't come back as Christ asked them to, so the church never rebuilt, and they are not a, they are not a testimony. And that's amazing when you think of oh, how yeah, much that... The that, river isn't there anymore. The river that it was, it, it, or back in Bible times, it was kind of on the right on a river that went down to the sea in the Mediterranean. Well, now, because of I can't remember all the reasons. Silt and everything else. The river's like way, way far away. Yeah. We can do all the ministry things that we as churches do. Pastors can do all the teaching in the world that we want to do or think we ought to do. But if we're not doing this in love, if, we, if, if I don't come in here and I'm just sharing this because I want you guys to really understand what God's doing and appreciate what God's doing and really help encourage you and living your Christian life out of love, then I'm just making noise. I mean, I just isn't that what Paul says when he talks about yep. I'm just a I'm just a kid banging on a pan in the kitchen. It's annoying. Cut it out. So, and and he says that those are mysteries. In other words, you would never would have known that in the Old Testament. You would have never known what God had planned for using the church. And individuals in the church for accomplishing certain things with regard to him down here on earth. So.
I'm sure if we went through this, we could we could compile a lot of other new things because we certainly had some new ones that you guys popped uh, throughout tonight, which I really appreciated. Again, the whole point is because we'll move on next week unless you guys really are set on wanting to look at some other new things. But otherwise, I think we'll move on. But the point of this study the last two weeks is a lot of these new things, Christ is saying, you guys, disciples, couldn't handle them. You know what's sad? Is sometimes you share some of these things with Christians today, and they're like they're like a little kid choking. You know, you give them something to eat, and they're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's like too much to eat, I can't, you know. They're, they're struggling with it. And that's one of the opportunities we have as believers is to help them come along and grow with regard to some of these new things that God has in store for us. Okay. Any last comment? And I'll try to keep my mouth shut and not comment back.